Hello and welcome to this special edition, episode 20 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, the Star Wars edition. My name is David and with me are the NCP crew, Richo. I can do the Kessler run in less than 12 parsecs. Luke! I'd just like to point out that the famous quote by Darth Vader does not start with Luke. And Crystal! Why can't I get the Superman theme out of my head? <laughs> <laughs> they are very similar. Same composer, wrong movie. <laughs> I was going to give a Star Wars like like names like Darth Richo and stuff like that, but I thought, I, I thought that was lame. I would happily accept the title Darth Richo. <laughs> so Nerd Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have the podcast, we also have our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com Which features additional content not found on the podcast itself. So like I said, this, for this episode we have a special on the greatest group of films involving a war in the stars ever made. Star Wars! The Holy Trilogy. I thought we were talking about that American defense thing. <laughs> the, the, the American uh, laser Star Wars defense. laser defense is this system. The wrong podcast. Well, I don't think we'll have a whole episode about the uh, Star Wars defense system. But, but I had uh, all these notes prepared. I'm so, I apologize for that. Do you have like their schematics and stuff? Yeah, that'd be cool. We should make our own. We're gonna hack in. <laughs> hack in. I uh, I just want to uh, voice my objection to uh, a lack of dust jacket in this episode. I have one role on this uh, podcast, and I uh, I want to. I want my dust jacket back. And we let it all, we let it all out now. Aww. <laughs> we'll we'll mention we the novelizations of the, of the film. Which is great. Kevin J. Anderson stuff. And then we can <laughs> yes. just need no Kevin J. Anderson. Yes, Kevin J. Anderson. I'm so glad I didn't have to read all of those for this podcast. Alright, I accept the fact that there's no dust jacket. I mean, been preparing the Academy Awards special that we had a couple of episodes ago. Um, it occurred to me that we hadn't had a full discussion on the most important movies ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and I, that's what I said, the most important movies ever made. Yeah, Citizen Kane, you <laughs> suck. <laughs> but it's terrific. <laughs> it's terrific. It's terrific. Citizen Kane is brilliant. <laughs> oh! oh, no! You've spoiled it all! Oh, and by the way, everybody, Darth Vader is Luke's father. <gasps> Since yeah, we're spoiling thank everything. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Spoil the movie for me. <laughs> So here we go, the NCP's crew's opinions on the original trilogy. Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. The galaxy is in a state of civil war. Uh, Rebel Alliance spy that managed to steal the the schematics for the Empire's new weapon, the Death Star, and uh, are trying to escape with them, but they get wiped out <laughs> pretty much to a man uh, by Darth Vader and his stormtroopers. But Princess Leia manages to get uh, the plans into a droid, R two D two, and R two D two and his companion C three PO escape. Uh, the droids are then uh, captured by Jawas. And sold to Owen and Baru Lars and their nephew Luke Skywalker, who becomes pretty important later on. But so keep up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's quite quite important. Um, uh, he Luke uh, sees a small snippet of uh, Leia's holographic image and thinks she's pretty hot, and uh, th- thinks that uh, maybe the message is intended for uh, Ben Kenobi, of uh, an old hermit who lives out in the desert. R two 
goes a runner and uh, tries to go off and go on to his mission and find uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but and Luke and C-3PO go after him and attacked by Tusken Raiders, uh, where Ben is then forced to save them. It then reveals that he is, in fact, Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Jedi Knight from the Clone Wars and a uh, friend and companion to uh, Luke's father, who was betrayed and murdered by this Darth Vader character from the start. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> he gives uh, Luke a lightsaber. In, I don't know, in, in that particular scene, it's quite funny. It looks like he's about to cut his own arm off. Mm. He doesn't handle <laughs> it very well. Uh, gets, it gets, so he gets a lightsaber, the coolest weapon ever created. And uh, Ben asks him to, to accompany him to, uh, to Alderaan to help uh, yeah, the young princess. But Luke, of course, he can't because he's a whiny little kid. And he has to go off and do some work. He's a slave to the man. The man being his uncle. His uncle, yeah. Let's do his chores. Uh, but then we, we returns home. Uh, poor Owen and Baru. Poor Baru with that blue milk. Dead. Killed by... Presumably by stormtroopers. Did they say yeah, the not, not killed by the blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that blue milk, it's obviously off. Throw that stuff out. <laughs> stormtroopers drank it all. Yeah, so stormtroopers. Yeah, apparently, uh, no one is pre- as precise as those stormtroopers. <laughs> the opening sequence. That's kind of ironic later on too. Know, the opening sequence shows just how precise they are. I mean, they wiped the rebels out. Yeah. It's just a, it's a pretty substantial victory, and then can't fire a single straight shot for the rest of the trilogy. Basically, it's insane. Anyway, but they do look cool. Yeah, so they're dead. So now, of course, he doesn't have to do any work. He gives a little cheer and accompanies Ben to uh, Mos Eisley, the uh, Richard the, Hive of Scum and Villainy. That's the one where they meet up with. Han Solo and Chewbacca, the pilots of the Millennium Falcon, who offer to take him to, well, after being bribed with a ridiculous amount of money, uh, to Alderaan. On the way to Alderaan, they discover that uh, Alderaan is destroyed, and, so, and they get captured by the Death Star. Some uh, shenanigans later, they manage to rescue Princess Leia, who is a prisoner there, and they escape the Death Star, make it to the Rebel Alliance, Luke becomes a pilot without proving any of his skills in any way, shape, or form, becomes a member of uh, the the squad. Um, they need all the men they can get at that point. <laughs> yeah, at that point they're quite it desperate. It has been stated that he is a pilot, though. Yeah, but what's, where's the proof? <laughs> and, um, Luke, it uh, embarrasses one of the Brebel Alliance <laughs> pilots in the beating. It's yeah. like, that's impossible, two meters. That's not impossible. Oh, I love that scene. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, attack the Death Star and blow it up. Using the uh, the force. the the floor in the the plans and also using the force. Oh, also part of the shenanigans during in the Death Star involved the death of, of uh, Obi Wan. But uh, <laughs> that's not important. Just a minor point. That's <laughs> a minor point. Yeah. I skipped over that bit. It, it's important to note that uh, with the destruction of the Death Star, that uh, Darth Vader actually doesn't get killed. No, um, he manages to mm. basically get. Well, he runs away after Han shoots him. Yeah, he well, gets he, he gets knocked out in the man. final. He gets knocked knocked yeah. about in the final battle and manages to escape at the end in order to return for the second film. Yeah, so all the main characters survive for the uh, the next <laughs> the next instalment, and uh, the Empire suffers a pretty drastic setback. So for the three people in the universe who actually haven't seen Star Wars, now you don't need to. That's right. For yeah. anybody listening to a nerd <laughs> culture podcast. <laughs> We're going to assume that you've actually seen Star Wars. That covers it all, I'm pretty sure. So we're not going to have any spoiler alerts here. So when we get to Empire Strikes Back... Be warned. Be warned. We're actually, we're already told you. (laughs) Okay, so the main (laughs) cast are Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia Organa, Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin, does a great job, Uh, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi, 
Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, and of course David Prowse as the physical presence of Darth Vader with James Earl Jones providing the magnificent voice of Darth Vader. James Earl Jones, legend. A couple of uh, interesting tidbits with the casting. Uh, Lucas actually shared a joint casting session mm. with uh, friend Brian De Palma, who was casting Carrie at the time. Yep. Um, so, and as a result, uh, Carrie Fisher and Sissy Spacek both auditioned for uh, the Carrie role and the Leia role. <laughs> and uh, De Palma went with uh, Sissy for Carrie and Lucas went with uh, Fisher for Leia, Leia. So, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, Mark Hamill was selected instead of William Cat um, for uh, Luke, and William Cat then all went on to carry, so it's pretty cool. Um, and also later on, the greatest American hero. hero. That's true. I Believe mean, it or not. Yeah, he always <laughs> have a, a soft spot in my heart for the greatest American hero. And Lucas initially rejected the idea of using Harrison Ford because he previously worked with him in American Graffiti, and it wasn't a bad relationship. It was just he just thought it would be kind of weird. He wanted like fresh faces and stuff like mm. that, um, and asked Ford to assist him in the auditions by reading the lines with the actors and stuff like that. But uh, but then eventually uh, was won over and just realised that Ford was Han Solo and and eventually also Indiana Jones. And mm. um, there you go. Mm. Harrison become you know, Han Solo. Arguably one of the most popular Star Wars characters. What happened was that he was actually at the studio where they were doing you know, pre-production and the casting. Yeah, carpentry. And doing carpentry. And initially he actually didn't want to be seen. With Lucas, he said, "I don't want Lucas to see me here." You know, working as a carpenter. Working as a carpenter. Um, well, there you go. And so he was actually quite reluctant to uh, to <laughs> do it. And it's kind of interesting because he's still quite reluctant to talk about Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a good thirty years. You can, you years can write this crap, but if you sure can't say <laughs> it. That's um, not the exact quote, but I didn't want to say the exact quote. But um, it's, but it's so, interesting though, too, because of all the actors. He was the one who benefited the most from appearing in Star Wars. Exactly. Yeah. A couple of interesting uh, possibilities for Han Solo were Kurt Russell, mm. yeah. uh, Nick Nolte, yep. Sylvester Stallone. No. Seriously. Uh, Christopher Walken, which would have been awesome. <laughs> Gotta have some more cowbell. Um, and uh, Billy D. Williams, who of course, then went on to become Lando. Lando. Um, I could, I could see Billy D. Williams playing Han Solo. Well, I could see Billy D. Williams playing any role. I could, I could Billy see Billy D. is the man. Work. But I could also see Kurt Russell, but. Nick Nolte and Sylvester Stallone. Hmm. What's going on there? <laughs> but that's not why Billy Dee Williams got cast as Lando, because Lando's meant to be Han. Well, yeah, they're essentially yeah, the same yeah, character, yeah. really. There's a flip side. They're, 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 yeah, they're the sort of roguish mm. charm that they both have. Smuggler. I thought you said you were blind. Okay, so uh, production of Star Wars A New Hope. Um, following the completion of THX uh, 1138, Lucas was granted a two-film development deal with United Artists uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, which would eventually be American Graffiti and uh, an idea for a space opera he had called The Star Wars. Um, he showed United Arts the script for American Graffiti, but they passed, which is like, seriously, mm. uh, and Universal Studios picked up and the rest is history. After American Graffiti, uh, Lucas started his, his treatment on Star Wars in January 73. Um, I should just be pointed out that American Graffiti was a hit, which is why he was, massive able, to, hit, yeah. which is why he was able to get his foot in the door to, to pitch Star Wars. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, officially, without the success of American Graffiti, yeah, yeah. nobody would have even listened to Star yeah. Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as it is, he had a hard time. Mm. Uh, the original two-page synopsis was titled The Journal of the Wills, mm. uh, which bore little resemblance to the final story. Um, the, tor- the journals told the story of a famous pilot who trained as a Padawan apprentice of a revered Jedi, Bendu. 
Mace Windu, a revered. I think that's the the opening one is Mace Windu. A oh, it's Mace Windy. Mace Windy. Yeah. A um a revered Jedi of a revered member of the Jedi Bendu Order of yeah. Knights, and then he he wrote that, and then wondered why no one was making sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he got so quite frustrated when people actually said, "This George, this makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just far too difficult." Um, so he started again. <laughs> he started again from scratch. Uh, the second draft. Uh, uh, contained a teaser for a never made sequel called The Princess of Ondos mm. uh, which is pr- I'm very interested to know what that was all about mm. um, but by the time he got to the third draft um, uh, he then negotiated the rights to make uh, sequels so he had ideas for mm. it um, he eventually then uh, met up with Alan Dean Foster and hired him to write the sequels as novels mm. planning to then make them into films mm. that of course never came about and then the novel that uh, Alan Dean Foster completed was called uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye which mm-hmm. is I'm not too sure if it's actually canon or not. But not anymore. Uh, it's it's, it's no. sort of seen as a sort of a curio yeah. set in between A New Hope New and Empire. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's actually got a very interesting scene that uh, you just wouldn't get away with where Luke actually slaps Leia across the face mm. and drags her out of this thing because people searching for him and stuff. And it's like she tells him off and he's like, ah, whatever, you're just a woman. And so, yeah. which, which is just... <laughs> like what <laughs> it's probably good they didn't include that in the movies <laughs> it's just no, Luke comes across as uh, not a very nice person but does have an awesome uh, confrontation between Luke and Darth Vader mm. uh, and that's another reason why it gets forgotten because it's you know the confrontation between Luke and Darth Vader in that is sort of made a bit redundant by the confrontation between Luke and Vader in Empire uh, so both the United Arts and Universal passed on their options for the film later that year um, citing uh, it would have a too high a budget and Lucas pers- uh, pursued Alan Ladd Jr., mm. one of the true heroes of this story, yep. uh, the head of 20th, 20th Century Fox, um, and closed a deal to write that. Uh, he slashed, he yeah. slashed his... Um, he did it by slashing his director's fee yeah. in half. He, he, he Instead of going for a million, he did, he said, no, I'll take 500000 I don't. I think he even got rid of the writer's fee as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he eventually, said, got, he got, eventually got 150000 yeah. to write and direct. To write and direct. Um, and the, Which is the, peanuts. And, and the, yeah. but, but the caveat was that he would get... Um, sequel rights. Sequel rights, and more importantly, merchandise. merchandise rights. That's and, exactly and everyone right. gave it to him because no one thought, oh, this isn't going to sell. Yeah. Yeah, whereas Star Wars merchandise actually controlled what happens in the mm. film. So yeah. We'll get to Return of Jedi and the Ewoks mm. disaster later on. Smartly, Lucas hired conceptual artist Ralph McQuarrie to create paintings of certain scenes. Yep. Um, which they're, are all awesome. Mm. And uh, mm. when he delivered the screenplay to the studio, he actually included some of Macquarie's paintings yeah. in his presentation, yeah. which was basically the winning move. Yeah. And the, the Macquarie art actually um, is very interesting in looking at the development of the film as That's well. That's right, yeah. Um, you have um, some of Macquarie's art features a female Luke Skywalker. Yeah, so uh, um, Luke Skywalker was, eventually, was originally a woman. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the, the, my favourite's the, the green-skinned... Guild Han Solo. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, kind of the Greedo version of Han Solo. Yeah. Which would eventually become Greedo, that's right. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is quite interesting. Uh, it's actually ironic, too, because um, we just found out uh, a couple of weeks ago, just after our uh, our last podcast went to air, that uh, Rob McQuarrie actually passed away. Yeah, at 82. 82 years old, yeah. Yeah, at the, a big loss, definitely. His, it's his a work huge is loss. just amazing. I'm really upset because, I mean, the man is an absolute legend mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, without, I mean, he basically created the look of Darth Vader and, yeah. and it's well, just let's, let's dedicate this episode, the Star Wars-centric episode, to the memory of Ralph, Ralph McQuarrie and the great work that he did. Totally agree. Rest in peace, Ralph. 
Uh, third draft, uh, dated August 1st, 1975, was titled The Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Starkiller. Mm. Which, let's face it, is a better name. But, uh, but not, not, as really Jedi. Not, yeah. not as heroic a name, though. But he does eventually kill a star. Mm. That's true. That's very true. Uh, which was basically the, the final the final one with some you know, more uh, amendments later on, the fourth and final draft, which was uh, January 1st, 1976, The Adventures of Luke Star Starkiller, which had a huge name. The Adventures of Luke Starkiller as taken from the Journal of the Wills, Saga 1, Star Wars. It's a massive thing. Good to see that he was able to trim <laughs> that one down because it probably would have been a good marketing ploy to keep that title. Uh, so 20th Century Fox approved a budget of uh, $8,250,000. Um, basically, from what Luke said, with American Graffiti being so uh, so huge. Mm. Uh, in, in 1975, Lucas founded the visual effects company Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, after discovering that the 20th Century Fox's visual effects department had been disbanded by that time, which is quite bizarre. And all the other effects houses around LA were pretty much a joke. Yeah, or what had he no wa- clue. Yeah, he, but he, he, he wanted he wanted stuff that was at the time, you know, pretty cutting edge. Yeah, so and motion ha- control photography, mm. and he really, really, uh, ILM have really pushed the boundaries in mm. film well, effects. You know, we should make it sort of clear just to give people a worldview. Up until Star Wars, um, in terms of special effects, you had one end of the spectrum right Harryhausen with his stop motion stuff which is fabulous and at the other end you had Douglas Trumbull with 2001 and Lucas wanted somewhere in the middle and somewhere beyond that as well mm. um, he wanted to do a whole lot of stuff that actually hadn't been done before yeah. um, with model work and things like that and with um, speed and motion he didn't want to have placid still shots he wanted to actually be able to move yeah I mean, he basically wanted to recreate the dogfights mm. his beloved you know, World War World War Two films, films and stuff like that. I mean, he even used stock footage from those films to give the ILM guys an idea of what this is basically. This is what I want. So, yeah. And let's face it, sometimes they actually just recreated those scenes. Yeah, they <laughs> did. Shot, very much so, yeah. It was pretty crazy, mm. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it works. Uh, when principal photography began on March 22, 1976, in the Tunisian desert uh, for the Tatooine sequences, um, <laughs> the, the the quite well known story that uh, the set was completely destroyed by. Uh, Incredibly rare Tunisian rainstorm, <laughs> just basically wipes them out. Mm. It happens like once every five hundred years or something yep. insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just bad timing. Really, just really bad timing. Um, and uh, Anthony Daniels was injured when his C three PO outfit actually uh, part of the leg shattered and mm. stabbed him mm. in the foot. Um, not good at all. And uh, but eventually they uh, they they survived uh, Tunisia and moved on to the Elstree Studios and. Um, Faced a problem of a different kind with the crew there. Mm, thought that yeah. the film was like a child, you know, a kids' film, and they just had no interest at all and wouldn't, have, you know, wouldn't. But not do, only that, do what they were told, and not uh, only that, um, he another Blade Runner situation. He didn't get on very well with his cinematographer, um, Lucas, who at that yeah. point had been doing stuff, you know, sort of independent, you know, short films. Was used to, you know, going around and doing things himself, um, you know, working mm. with a very small skeleton crew. You know, one of the famous instances was, you know, he wanted. To a light to be in a certain place, he just got up to you know, and move it. it. Yeah. And the cinematographer, whose name I cannot remember, yeah, was... got up to him and said, "No, nah, okay, my job. you tell me what shot you want, yeah. and I will light it, and I will, and I will make it as best as I can." And that, you know, there was huge friction between. The they basically two. got around it, though. I mean, as, as somebody else stepped in and mm. mediated, and apologies were made, and mm. away they but went. he also had to deal with things like unions, and you know, because it was a film that no one cared about. They really weren't going to spend, you know, they weren't going to go into overtime or, you know, take, or, you know, come in on weekends and things like that. So he had to actually work within the union regs in Britain 
um, and a crew who are going to stick to those union regs because they just did not believe in the project they were working on. Yeah. And, and, and during this time, ILM's work mm. was just a disaster. Mm. And it was just uh, when, yeah. eventually, when he eventually got back and had a look and they'd done practically nothing, nothing. and uh, what they had done was terrible. Mm. And so um, they'll, they'll, they'll had to be fixed up and that's when he then used the stock footage to show. Mm. It's like, well, this is what I wanted to do and mm. yeah, they eventually got what they did. And only when Lucas screened an early cut of the film for his friends, uh, directors Brian De Palma, John Milius, Steen Slubeck, mm. Um, their reactions were quite disappointing, so hmm. he was uh, a bit upset by that. And, but in contrast, though, uh, when he then showed it to the executives, the Fox executives, they loved it. Hmm. Gareth Wigan actually said, this is the greatest film I've ever seen. You know, on Gareth. Um, <laughs> and, and so because of that, um, the studio were you know, right behind hmm. him. It's like, you know, here's some extra money, hmm. go out there and get this thing done, it's going to be huge. It's actually great to Alan Ladd Jr., because Alan Ladd Jr. actually, you know, did, did had, had some faith in the project. Yeah. And actually thought it would it could reach its audience and they could actually make some money if they did mm. if it turned out pretty well. So but his uh, faith was mainly in Lucas himself. Yeah, right? as, as, mm. as, as, like, mm. you know, I don't really I don't really understand what this film's about. And mm. you know, but I, I think you you know mm. have the gumption to get it going. Mm. And then then of course when Star Wars did prove successful, um, uh, Lucas decided to use the film for a basis as a, an elaborate serial. So he actually envisioned um, to the idea of having a, like a James Bond sort of deal. It's mm. like having yeah. You know, multiple films that don't really have mm. a chronological sort of basis, maybe a little yeah. bit in the a background. series as opposed to a, a series, and uh, have different directors like mm. Spielberg and De Palma mm. and Milius do their own sort of versions of them, which mm. would have been fascinating, I think. Would have been very interesting to see. Yeah. Very, very different directors mm. there. It would have been interesting to see what each one produced. Yeah. I mean, there are different directors on Empire and and Return. And, but uh, but you still have you happens. still have that sort of overriding vision of Lucas's oh, yeah. dominating the screen. Even in Return, uh, Richard Marquand actually it actually said in an interview once that, that, that Lucas was there all the time. Yeah, basically by his shoulder, mm, yeah. and it was essentially it's just it was like co-directing. Yeah, direct directing <laughs> directing by proxy. <laughs> so, uh, but at least I mean, Empire Strikes Back the the best of them all, mm. directed by somebody else and uh, Irving Kershaw. Uh, Star Wars was finally released. It was produced with a budget of eleven million. It was released on May 25, nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, the film earned four hundred and sixty million in the United States and three hundred and thirty-seven million overseas, surpassing Jaws uh, as the highest-grossing film of all time, and remained there until surpassed by ET in turn in nineteen eighty-two. Uh, when adjusting for inflation, the second-highest-grossing film in the USA and Canada as of twenty ten. There was, a, there was a young guy that actually called into a radio program on the mm. day of release mm. and was talking about the film with um, one of the producers, mm. and uh, I think it was Gary Kurtz actually, and uh, said that he's already see, already by that point had seen the film four times. That's on the same day, mm. so he's seen the first <laughs> ever, first one and just gone back and watched it again four times ago. It's like that is just craziness. Impressive. It is very impressive. Um, so in terms of uh, inspirations for the film. Originally wanted to be a very sort of Flash Gordon-y type sort of show, mm. um, but I decided that wasn't going to work in it's the end. It's still there in terms of the actual structure of the story. You know, it's very yeah. serialized. You know, very like serialized. This episode, you know, Luke and how did Luke and Han escape from you know the garbage crack, garbage compactor, and you know, ne- tune in next week. You know, for how are they how do they get out of the Death Star? Yeah, there's still mm. that. Um, that ideology there, yeah, and um, the swipe effects. You know, the swipe effects, which he takes from Kurosawa. Yeah. Uh, you, what you also haven't mentioned is you haven't mentioned um, the, the the big influence in terms of the the journey, which is the hero's journey That's by what Joseph I was about Campbell. To mention. 
Go for it. No, go, go for it. It's up until that point, Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero of the Thousand Faces, journey, um, Mask of God and the Hero of the, Th- of the Thousand Faces was sort of studied academically. Yeah. Um, but Lucas was the first one to really um, hone it and use it for popular fiction, uh, mass culture, in a, in a way to sort of cement the, um, the way that the hero acts and behaves um, in a story. It had been around since the 50s. And he was the one who really popularized that. And because of that, you know, Joseph Campbellian, a Campbellian structure has become part of the lexicon now. Yeah. Mm. Um, so in combining that with Hidden Fortress and mm. Hidden Fortress and, and Star Wars, so Star Wars. I mean, even to the Hidden Fortress elements with the Bicker and Peasants uh, mm. becoming C-3PO and R2-D2, mm. um, the Japanese family crest that you see in the film is very similar to the actual mm. Imperial crest, mm. and uh, there's also a couple of uh, you know Jimbo sort of elements mm. where um, the scene in the in Mos Eisley, where the two guys confront Luke, mm. like I don't like you either, yeah. and then you know, his arm gets yeah. cut off, and that's basically shot for shot. <laughs> yeah. for and to the point where he wanted Tashiro Mifune originally to play Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah, um, which would have been cool. Which would have been cool. Yeah. <laughs> would have been um, interesting, definitely. No offense to Alec, it's mm. an excellent job. It would have been pretty interesting. And it's actually, there's also some speculation about what he actually, whether he actually wanted to do something original or based on someone else. And I mentioned this because John Carter's about to be released. And you know he was inspired by Lucas was inspired by the Flash Gordon serials to create a space to do a space opera type film, and there's been some suggestion that the first thing he wanted to do was actually adapt John Carter. Uh, another influence too, I just briefly mention. Um, there's a lot of influences in the actual design work, yeah. uh, paying homage to a lot of uh, the old sort of science fiction films. The most notable one is the design of C-3PO, yeah. which is quite strongly based on Maria from uh, Metropolis. Yep, exactly. Basically a male version of Mar- of Maria from Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, there's also quite a lot of uh, Dune references. Mm. Um, Tatooine is similar to Arrakis. Mm. Uh, the, the spice is mentioned quite often. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, Han Solo is a spice smuggler. Mm. So obviously quite like Melange. And, um, and the story of, you know, uh, of, of a young boy who's destined to become, who's destined to great, Thing, great yeah. things in the um, in the history and the course of future of the galaxy. Mm. Yeah, my, my favorite my favorite sort of uh, correlation actually is the the Death Star assault scene, mm. uh, which is modelled after the Dam Busters, uh, as well as uh, the film Six Three Three Squadron. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about that is that um, some of the dialogue in the Dam Busters is repeated in Star Wars, mm. uh, and Gilbert Taylor, who filmed the special effects sequence for the Dam Busters, is also helped the sequence in Star Wars. Yeah. So, so essentially they're the same sequence, mm. which is, I think it's just awesome. And uh, it basically just followed the same sort of thing. I mean, a bunch of planes going down a, a narrow <laughs> thing being fired on from both sides and psh, have to take out this small small target. It's pretty cool. Uh, after the re- initial release, uh, Star Wars has obviously been released a, a number of times. Um, uh, it, was a, it was re-released fairly soon after the initial release, actually, where the episode 4 stuff was was then added um on in place of that uh, iconic opening crawl mm. it was then released quite infamously in uh, the 20th anniversary 90, uh, 1997 uh as part of the star wars trilogy special edition package uh, where empire and return were also released during that campaign the special edition versions contained visual shots that were scenes that were unachievable in the original due to uh, financial technological and time restraints but since uh Jurassic Park proved that these things could be done. Lucas decided to go back and redo some of those scenes that he thought weren't really quite up to scratch. One scene involved the reinsertion of a deleted scene uh, meeting between Han Solo and Jabba. Um, in the original, Jabba was played by 
just some guy. Just some, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of heavy set guy. Heavy, overweight. Yeah, it's like a third. Yeah. Thing yeah. Is, is, uh, so they reinserted that with uh, Jabba looking like the Jabba that we all know from um, Return of the Jedi. Uh, not quite successfully, in my opinion. The bit where he walks over his tail is. Uh, looks a little, is, yeah, it looks a little uh, disjointed. Quite, quite odd, but, mm. you know, otherwise pretty cool. But also does include one of my absolute hated sequences where uh, at the end of that when they're all walking away Boba okay. Fett is there who mm. at that point nobody cared but now since he becomes so popular in Empire in Return you know Boba Fett's there and turns around and looks directly at the camera it's mm. like come on it's fan service yeah, it's to the certainly extreme a, certainly a strange moment in the, uh... it's so annoying anyway um, sound like the bit in Return of the Jedi where he nods mm. at Bush yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, but yeah. it's like you know, it's one bounty hunter acknowledging another bounty hunter. But this is where he just looked at the camera and was like, "Yeah, it's... please get off." Anyway, um, but of course, the most infamous change uh, has to be uh, the hand shoots first <laughs> sequence. The scene in the cantina where uh, he's confronted by Greedo, who's going to take him in uh, for the bounty, dead or alive. Uh, of course, has to resort to death, and uh, Han shoots him dead before he ever had a chance to even twitch. Uh, that was uh, then changed. Uh, Lucas has, has said that the idea was always going to be that Greedo was meant to shoot first, and and that just the camera angles were wrong or something. Um, and so he changed that, it. That's a fairly recent admission <laughs> yes. on his part, though, yeah. and one that uh, I think he's kind of retconned into the story. Well, interestingly but... enough, the original one of the original screenplay treatments does say that Greedo shoots yeah. first. Yeah. So I mean, you can take yeah. it, take it or leave it. And cool. uh, but that was then changed to Greedo shooting first. Uh, huge uproar and then of course uh, when it was re-released in the Blu-ray editions um, it was changed to a simultaneous shot to to be honest with you I mean I had a bit of nerd rage at the time I thought no that was a stupid change so on and so forth but oh uh, yeah I've sort of mellowed over the years and I sort of think well look it's a question of whether Han Solo is a roguish scoundrel or a cold-blooded murderer. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to actually say... Yeah, really cold-blooded murderer. I mean, Greedo is clearly yeah. about to shoot him in the face. Yeah. Uh, Although no. he misses by heaps. No, no, no. Is he, though? Or is Greedo actually just planning to take him in and cash him in? I mean, there's, yeah. you, you don't really yeah. know. So Han just shoots him in the original version. <laughs> and uh, really, I, I think for the more heroic depiction of Han Solo... It is actually probably good that he is responding to Greedo trying to kill him by shooting back. Greedo actually, actually does, yeah. does make the threat, though. I yeah, but he, he makes for the a threat. Long time. But, yeah. So you can, you can assume that Han's mm. just defending himself. Or, you know, Han's firing first, you know, taking the preemptive strike. I want to go. I yeah, go but he's still murdering into, somebody. Yeah. Let's that's, put it that I mean, way. That's true. And <laughs> so, the very callous way he's like, you know, sorry yeah. for the. So I must admit, I've mellowed on the scene over the years, and I actually yeah. now sort of look at it and think, especially with the shooting simultaneously yeah, sort I'm of sure shootout aspect simultaneous. of it I'm cool I think that. actually works that works for me now yeah. I must admit the Greedo shooting first I think is, yeah. is wrong and just mostly just how the scene, scene looks I mean Greedo's the worst shot in the in the universe I mean seriously he well, misses by a mile as to a, the stormtroopers a stationary on. yeah I just want to point out that every, everybody shoots everybody is no, no, I mean, no. the stormtroopers are firing at moving targets most of the time but Greedo's not even a foot away. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's a bit nervous or he's something. He's, he's, maybe, we don't know. Maybe Greedo hasn't done this a lot before. <laughs> this is his first big it's bounty. He's not quite shot. sure what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, so the simultaneous one, I'm, I'm cool with that one. This is the good thing about the releases, actually, is that um, it gave Lucas a chance to go back and actually re- rescue the film, essentially. I mean, he, when he, eventually, he originally filmed it, he filmed it on inter-negative film, which deteriorates faster than normal uh, film yeah. stock and so this gave him a chance to actually go back rescue the film restore it and clean it up and 
you know, and then adding whether bits. whether adding the extra bits was you know good or bad is, is you know a whole different discussion I suppose. But at least he got to at least we still have the film. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. I mean, Nicky's films, so mm. he can do what he wants, <laughs> really. Of he essentially, can. I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, some of the some of the changes are good, some of the changes are bad, in my opinion. I really dislike the new Krayat Dragon Howl that Ben does in the Blu-ray version. I don't know if you heard it, but mm. it's awful. It's, it sounds like a, a synthesizer that's just been thrown yeah. down a bunch yeah. of stairs. But uh, you know, what can you do? I mean, at least we've still got the films, so that's fine. And uh, New Hope is actually scheduled to be re-released in 3D. In 2015, so uh, Lucasfilm is actually three uh, using the, the new 3D process on all the films and re-releasing them. The first one was Phantom Menace, which came out in Australia um, about a month ago, and yep. uh, they're going to be released in sequence. So um, uh, 2015 will give us a new hope, and then Empire after that, and then Return of Jedi after that. Look, it's it's hard to look at this film objectively. Yeah. I mean, I was I saw it when I was three years old, at least twice. And have I mean I've seen triple figures for Star Wars at least at least probably a hundred and fifty plus times I've actually watched this movie. Yeah. Um, I yeah I I can't really look at the film objectively. <laughs> if I did, I would probably have to condemn a lot of the elements of it. Um, condemn? Well, perhaps so. I mean, the act, wooden acting, bad scripting, um, pedestrian directing. I mean, there's there's a lot to it if you if you really look at it objectively. There's a lot there that probably doesn't work. You know, stormtroopers bumping their heads on doors as they run through. You know, <laughs> you know, it's um, really the 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 world building, the production design work that's done. The, these are, I think, the really really massive selling points of it. Um, and you know, and it does tap into that. Uh, it, it does tap into that sort of classic universal mythology that um, you know Joseph Campbell writes about. I mean, it's telling effectively, you know, the traditional fantasy story you know yeah. farm boy meets kindly old yeah. wizard who tells him about his yeah. destiny hooks up with this scandish you know the scandalous rogue type character and off they go to rescue the princess from the evil wizard's castle um having said that the film is absolutely awesome and has so completely shaped uh my nerd life that uh yeah from a subjective perspective i just love this movie so much it's not funny yeah no i mean it's just i mean it's our how our, our whole childhood's Revolve around, yeah. I mean, the the, the fact that Star There's Wars really... exists. I mean, Star Wars bed sheets. Yeah. I mean, the, all the toys. Yeah. There were really, <laughs> there know, were really, there were really crazy. three movies that summed up my early childhood. This one, Superman, and Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars was the absolutely the biggest influence. There's no doubt about it. I had so much Star Wars merchandise as a kid. It's not funny. Um, I didn't have much because we were poor, but I had as much as I could get. I on. had all the action figures. I had play bases. I had bed sheets i had a friend of mine had star wars wallpaper on his walls of his bedroom and i was so jealous that's bad um you know i had r2d2 punching bags i had towels t-shirts everything i think the merchandise has gone a little too far in my opinion but it's still i mean it's, it's I still just don't have my darth vader lava lamp though but it's still such a, a major part of our lives it's just yeah. it's just hard to imagine life without it it's just, it's just, it's just not possible, and it crosses all genders, male, <laughs> male and females. Even Crystal's a big fan. Let's let's be fair. There's one woman, pretty much in the entire film. Let's, let's just fix this woman, one woman thing once and for all. There's Mon Mothma in the third film. I'm talking about Star Wars. 
But if you go to anybody on the street and say, name a woman in Star Wars, they're not going to say Mon Moth. Exactly right. Ula, the dancer. Yeah, in Return of the Jedi. Slice, slice noodles. Also in Return of the Jedi. Jedi. Yeah, in Star Wars there is um, there is Aunt Beru. Yeah, dead in five minutes. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of women in the cantina, and there's Princess Leia. That's pretty much it. It's, it's not, yeah. And gra- granted, to be fair, Princess Leia there's is a very dro- strong female character. There's more droids you know. for women. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, Princess Leia is a very strong, capable female character, and give the film its due for that. But she is also the only woman in the universe. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Anyway, so uh, ratings. It's pretty midpoint, I suppose, but we'll throw it out there. Yeah, from my subjective preview, you know, viewpoint, it's definitely five looks. And I also want to point out, as we discussed in the past, Darth Vader, the greatest villain of all time. He is magnificent. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the, I think one of the absolute best moments in Star Wars is his first appearance. I think it's one of the best moments in film. Yeah. Mm. White background, uh, bright white background, yeah. white stormtroopers, dead bodies lying all around, pitch black Darth Vader steps through, yeah. the heavy breathing, the ominous look about him, the just sheer size of the David smoke. Just brilliant. But Absolutely Also, also brilliant. that sort of casual way he just looks around and goes, yep, yeah, 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 they've done the job. Now go on. <laughs> um, just, yeah, just brilliant filmmaking right so there. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, essentially, it's death flanked by his skulls and skeleton warriors Absolutely. coming out of hell. It's, yeah. just, it's brilliant stuff. I can look at it objectively, it being my favourite film of all time. Rubbish! Um, and since you're actually named after the main character. That's right. Pretty much. It, look, it does. It, it, that's why it has its flaws. There's actually a moment after you know the initial excitement and the rush of the opening, which is magnificent. You know, Darth yeah. Vader's entrance is notwithstanding. Mm. You know, the opening shot of the, the Star Destroyer going over, and you know, my parents quite constantly said they talked about you know having to actually look up at the ceiling because they thought that someone that, that something yeah. was flying overhead. Through to you know the attack on the Tantive Four, you know um, the escape to the uh, escape to Tatooine. There's a bit of a lull when you know they get caught by the Jawas, yeah. and the, the the film could almost stop right, could almost um, die right there. Then, but then of course you know we get to Luke and Aunt Beru and um, onto the onto the rest of the story. Yeah. But that lull aside, the brilliance of it is its ability to you know keep going. You know, one of the thing, one of the reasons why it stood the test of time is that it's very fast. You know, it doesn't really, apart from that initial lull, it doesn't really stop. It gets on with it. It knows what it wants to do. And, you know, in spite of what everyone says about, you know, poor characterization, they're actually not poor characters. They're stock standard archetypes, maybe, but they're characters who we like and can relate to mm-hmm. and who we might want to be, which I think is... Yeah, I don't think necessarily they're poor characters. Yeah. They're just... I don't. Bad, I don't want to be. I don't want to be Luke until Return of the Jedi because yeah. he's just too whiny to begin with. But you can see himself as Han Solo. On the other hand, let's face facts. We all wish we were Han Solo. He is a teenager. Yeah, he's a teenager, and he's justifiably whiny. I mean, he's being promised the same thing for years. I want my power converter. He's Paul Luke alone. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Return of the Jedi, Luke. He winds. He winds his way through the first film. Starts to unwind uh, in the second film. By the third film, however, man, does he kick butt. <laughs> oh yeah, I give us four point five looks. Five looks. <laughs> to the point. That's it what just, I like to see. I just can't really add anything extra than what you haven't, what's already been said. I was, I was three when Star Wars came out, so I was too young to go and see it in the theaters. So um, I didn't get to see it in the theater until 1997. That's okay. I was too young to be born. <laughs> That's interesting. Born. I was three. 
and yet saw it at least twice at the cinemas, and I think at least twice at the drive-in as well. Star Wars has actually been a source of disappointment in my childhood, because by the time Empire came out, I was still too little to be allowed to go to the movies. Oh, that's wrong. But (laughs) the older kids in my family were allowed to go. It just—it wasn't fair. I was—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm turning into Luke Skywalker here, but it's just not <laughs> it's fair. Not fair. We had with Return of the Jedi. We had to um, satisfy ourselves with listening to uh, my uncle's album on vinyl. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> Turn the page with our two beeps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. awesome yeah. stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm—I'm going to go with. Uh, I actually did. I didn't see it at the cinemas when I was a baby either, because. Who cares? But I was to be three. <laughs> I, I I actually have a very vivid memory as a three year old, not of the film, but just of being terrified oh, Darth, of Darth Vader. Yeah, well, that's probably, so probably scary. why I wasn't allowed to go see it. Um, but I did see um, Return of the Jedi. I didn't get to see Empire either. But yeah, I did see Empire. Return I was of the Jedi. taken to a Barbara Streisand movie when I was a baby. No, that would be terrifying. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, that's much scarier. I'm <laughs> um, so, but I, I'm with Luke. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, as as important as the film is. All my childhood and you know my life and you know I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. I've got you know lightsabers, three hundred dollar lightsabers and you know all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, it's, I I totally agree, but uh, it does have you know some problems. Objectively, it has some problems. Serious problems at times. Um, and some of the changes that oh, that new how are terrible. Um, I'll go with four point five as well. Yep. Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Three years after destroying the Death Star, the Rebel Alliance has suffered setbacks in their struggle against the Galactic Empire. Uh, Princess Leia, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and a whole bunch of other Rebels are on Hoth, an icy planet in the Hoth system, strangely enough, trying to uh, gather their forces and fight back against the Empire and uh, facing you know other other struggles like the ridiculous cold and uh, wompers, dangerous Wompers. And, oh know, man, the like Womper is cool. The Womper is cool. Luke uh, gets attacked by one of these Wampers and um, manages to survive, but is then told by the ghost of everyone to uh, go to the Dagobah system and train under Yoda, the Jedi Master. So uh, he's then then saved by uh, Han Solo, the only non-Jedi character in the Star Wars universe to use a lightsaber on screen. Alrighty, cuts open a taunt and puts Luke in the, him in, the, in the guts. Great stuff. Great, great action figure too. He put an action figure inside. Inside, the yeah. that was bad. Um, so uh, yeah, so as as Luke recovers, the uh, Imperials attack. Uh, they discover the location uh, with the pro droid, and they attack using the At At Walkers, the all terrain armored transport walkers, uh, which are awesome. And just um, a, yeah, another brilliant, brilliant <laughs> design uh, by Macquarie and the design production design team. Great stuff. They're basically just like the big mechanical elephants without the trunks, and they just yep. go go berserk. And they look fantastic. They it's... do look cool. Luke manages to take out one of those uh, all on his lonesome, because that's just how cool he is. Um, but uh, the Imperials do eventually overrun the the rebel the, the uh, defenses and uh, take over the base. 
Uh, but luckily, the main characters <laughs> so, <laughs> escape in the Millennium Falcon. The important characters managed <laughs> to get away. The important people. Everybody else, you know, whatever. <laughs> we don't, we're never going to find out what happens to them. Well, Luke, so, Luke actually doesn't escape in the Falcon. He actually gets no, yeah, out Luke, on his yeah, own. Yeah, Luke, but... Luke goes up on his own on the way to Dagobah uh, while the rest of them uh, escape and um, go to join up uh, with the Rebel Alliance. Uh, but they get chased... Um, the Falcon gets chased uh, by you know, a bunch of uh, Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters who have blockaded the, the whole system, essentially. And uh, we get the uh, magnificent asteroid sequence and, uh, and Never Tell Me the Odds and just some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and eventually escapes detection with a, with a cool manner of uh, hiding on the side of a Star Destroyer, which you know, nobody's ever going to think of. But, Escaping with the rest of the garbage. That's right. But uh, Vader has... Uh, who's now quite frustrated at you know, three years of trying to track these people down and so I decided to bring in the scum of the galaxy with the, the bounty hunters and uh, so they go off and Boba Fett uh, being as good as he is he determines that how Han Solo has escaped and uh, manages to chase after him Luke in the, in the meantime has gone to Dagobah and has met this uh, little funny little green guy who uh, you know, basically teases him and taunts him and uh, <laughs> is eventually revealed to be uh, the, the Jedi Master Yoda uh, and uh, after being basically you know, convinced by Ben Kenobi's ghost, decides to start training the, the quite angry and impetuous young Luke to become the, the first of the new Jedis. During this, uh, Han Solo is trying to, desperately trying to escape the Imperials that are hot on his tower, so he decides to go to uh, Cloud City in the, in the Bespin system, where his old friend and uh, rival uh, Lando Calrissian, the coolest dude in the galaxy, is trying to do a, lead a peaceful law-abiding life and uh, hopes that he will uh, that Lando will take him in and hide them from the Imperials Lando of course betrays them all <laughs> and, uh, and uh, hands them over to Vader not really realizing the extent of Vader's hatred for these people and uh, his real plans uh, uh, you know to be fair to young Lando uh, Vader basically essentially wants Luke uh, who and uh, to test the systems he puts uh, Han Solo in carbonite in preparation for doing the same thing to Luke in order to take him to the Emperor as commanded. And uh, Han Solo's out of the picture from that point. Yeah, he hands him over to Boba Fett to take back to collect the bounty. That's right, collect the bounty of uh, Jabba, uh, Jabba the Hutt. Uh, Luke has a forced vision about this and uh, rushes off to Bespin to save them, promising to come back to finish his training later. He arrives at Bespin, is uh, promptly confronted by Darth Vader. They have the... Most magnificent lightsaber fight in the entire saga, in my opinion, and uh, it is revealed the big the big spoiler alert revelation that Darth Vader is wasn't actually uh, uh, the responsible for his father's death. That Darth Vader is his father. Dun dun dun! I never yeah. join you. Luke's obviously not too happy with that revelation and uh, decides to kill himself rather than join his father in evil. Yeah, it's pretty heroic. Or, it's pretty heroic and noble, or it's just a coward's way out. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Luke is eventually saved by uh, Leia and Lando and Chewie and the Falcon, who have managed to escape Vader's clutches, and uh, they all fly off, and Luke gets his injuries taken care of, while yeah, Vader is sorry. quite upset. I think it's important to note here for what happens in Return of the Jedi that Luke actually gets his hand cut off. That's right. And, and replaced, replaced with a robot hand. Robot, robotic hand. Yeah. So just like Vader being more machine than man... Um, so yeah, that pretty much, and so the film ends on a, a bit of a down note, uh, Han, uh, Lando and Chewie go off to, to enact Luke's plan to rescue Han Solo from uh, Jabba the Hutt, and uh, Vader, incredibly angry at these turn of events, and uh, and that's basically it. Mm. 
He spends a lot of time angry in this film, Vader. Yeah, he's not a very he happy strangles. Man. He he force strangles a lot of people <laughs> in this movie. It's actually become a bit of a running gag amongst is it, is people. It, is it Admiral Piet the only guy, the only Imperial officer to survive? Admiral Piet. Captain Nita certainly goes <laughs> in one of the great, truly great moments in the film. Apology accepted. Captain Apology accepted, Captain. I think Piet's the only person to fail and yet still live. Yep, he <laughs> is, because he fails in... He fails at the end. Yeah, he fails. And Vader's just had enough at that point. <laughs> yeah, but then he just walks away. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, cast. Basically, the same cast as uh, the first film, and everybody returned. Uh, you had the main players, as, uh, also joined by you know, the possible Han Solo, Billy D. Williams, who's essentially playing a sort of a flip side to Han Solo, Lando Carusian. Uh You also had uh, Frank Oz uh, doing the performance and voice of Yoda. Legendary uh, Frank Oz. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Um, Jeremy Bullock is uh, Boba Fett, and uh, Dennis Lawson as Wedge Antilles, who uh, survives all three films. More importantly, he survives every single spaceship-related dogfight. Yeah. He survives the destruction and of the Death Star in the first film. That's right. The Hoth fight in the second film. Yeah. And the Death Star battle in the third film. He's a major player in the yeah. in the in, in, in final yeah, trilogy. Yeah. So he becomes he's now leader of Rogue Squadron. So uh, pretty cool. So a bit of uh, production information. Lucas hoped to become an independent uh, from the Hollywood film industry and finance Empire Strikes Back himself uh, with a thirty three million dollar loan um, and using the previous film's earnings. Was so exhausted from his experiences on uh, A New Hope that he decided to uh, give another director a go um, and he offered uh, uh, to a couple of people but he, the main one was Irvin Kirshner who was uh, one of his lecturers at uh, university or college or wherever it is that he went film school mm. um, and a good decision in my opinion great stuff because you know let's face it he's not a very good director well more probably Kirshner did a, an excellent job with directing this film yeah, he's just better with and actors brought, uh, yeah, and, and brought a lot of mood and atmosphere into the film mm. as well I think that was probably lacking in Star Wars yeah. and sort of from the technical side of things when it comes to things like lighting and cinematography as well I mm. think there was a big step up and I think Kirshner's uh, uh, should take a lot of the credit for that yeah totally after the release of Star Wars ILM grew from being a struggling company and moved to Marin County California and you know basically became the, the massive special effects company that they are. I mean, it's, it's, if you want, they are the number one yeah, special effects, effects company in the world. Yep. They're, the, they're the ones you turn to. There are a couple of a uh, couple of more major players in the works now, but yeah, um, ILM but, still... Well, certainly certainly by 1980, when Empire Strikes Back released, ILM just, they were the dominant yeah. company. I think they were, uh, and they were for a good um, 20 years. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. They, uh, they were I think their, most, their, their closest competitor would probably be Stan Winston's studio. Mm. Yeah, then, certainly uh, when it came to, yeah, the practical makeup effects. Practical they were. Stuff. And it really wasn't probably until Weta came along that, mm. yeah, that now, they were... Now any, you have Weta. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't until Weta came along that they really had a challenge as far as visual effects go. Yeah, but they're still number one. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're huge. The sets for Dagobah were built five feet above the stage floor, allowing the puppeteers to crawl underneath and uh, hold Yoda, which presented a bit of a problem for Frank Oz because um, he couldn't communicate with Mark <laughs> or any of the other other people, so they had to add, you know, microphones and stuff like that. But still, magnificent performance, I think. I mean, Yoda, mm. the actual, the practical Yoda, I think, is much better than the CGI Yoda. Yep. Well, I mean, the, the Frank Oz, obviously coming from you know the Jim Henson workshop. Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, the preeminent puppeteers at the time. So, and and once again, they they took a whole sort of step forward with 
the creation of Yoda as well, which they then carried into you know films later on like Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. Mm. So yeah. and then their ultimate achievement, I think, I, I believe, was Jabba the Hutt in Return of the Jedi, which yeah. we discussed later on, which is just just magnificent. The yeah, way they made him work. absolutely. Um, filming began in Norway on March 5, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, like the filming of Star Wars, there was uh, some production problems uh, with the Ferrier's first major ice storm in 50 years. It's like, well, it's not, it's not quite true this year, it's 500 years, but still. <laughs> Temperatures actually dropped to negative 20 Fahrenheit. Uh, to film one of the scenes, there's actually a scene where uh, Luke runs out of the snow uh, when he's escaping the, the Wampa Cave, and there's just a scene just running through the snow, just an odd scene. That, that scene was actually filmed with the crew inside the hotel, mm. with Mark Hamill outside running towards the entrance of the hotel, and they filmed him while they're nice and warm and he's freezing cold. That's <laughs> so I thought was uh, quite. Poor Mark funny. Hamill. Yeah. But at least he's running towards them, which means he gets into yeah. the hotel. So well, it was so bad that they actually couldn't see. Yeah. That's yeah. why they filmed it, because they just thought, well, we can't actually see a damn thing. Yeah. Um, so we might as well just film so, it right out there. So outside, it's, 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 there's like mounds of snow and stuff, but that's actually cars covered in snow, as mm. yeah. you wouldn't know. So that's pretty cool. Despite reports to the contrary, the scene where Luke gets knocked out by the Wampa um, was not added specifically to explain the change to Mark Hamill's face after his motor accident um, when he was filming Star Wars. So... It was quite a persistent rumour, at least through my childhood at least, mm, that yeah. uh, the scene where the Wampa smacks him in the face yeah. was meant to explain that. But apparently that's actually not the case at all. Um, it, it's just, a, I think, just a pleasant coincidence that works mm. well. Mm. Well, to, yeah, in that it does explain mm. the, the change in the look, that's but right. it was already written, or it's already meant to be there anyway. Yeah, well, so Lucas they, said that he was actually going to have a bit where he would show that, uh, it's because it's been three years later, that just the... The, the adventures that he's had in the meantime has just been so mm. wearying that he's actually, yeah. you know, he's, he's just gotten from that case. But then he didn't have to do that because mm. he yeah. had the scene. So yeah. that was cool. Um, so that's good. And good that Mark survived. It was a pretty horrific accident, actually. It's, uh, it's pretty bad. So it's good. Uh, the production after the, the disaster of uh, Norway, they, the production moved to Austria Studios once again in London on March 13, uh, where they built over 60 sets, and uh, which is double what they used for Star Wars. Mm. Um, so going back to uh, Irvin Kirshner's directing and stuff, is that one of the good things about it was that he allowed the actors to ad libs in the scenes mm, and do yeah. some stuff like that, and just uh, really sort of get involved in their character. Uh, the most famous example of that would be the the scene where Han Solo is about to be put into the carbonite, and um, he just felt that the dialogue just didn't quite work. So where um, Leia says "I love you," and he was meant to say "I love you" too mm. back, and Han- Harrison Ford said, "Look, this just doesn't work for me," and so Kirshner said, "Well, just you know, ad lib what you want," and he said. I know, which is awesome, and uh, yeah, it's become one of the sort of like, iconic lines from Star mm. Wars. Yeah, it's, it's and uh, and, it, and it's exactly what Han Solo would say, so mm. it makes perfect sense. But what did they do? is that that scene? Film that scene was actually quite tense. What they did was that um, for that for when they were shooting that day, they all actually wired themselves up with mics, mm. like directors as well, uh, the director as well, and you know some members of the crew, and you know what they were saying could actually be transcribed because it was then published in. I forget what was published, but they published the transcription of, you know, the, the interaction between Irvin Kirsten and Harrison Ford, you know, talking about how they were going to change some dialogue and Carrie Fisher getting um, rather annoyed because they were having the conversation about, you know, stuff that she might be doing without her there, getting rid of them. And he's feel and um, Kirsten's feeling a bit um, under, overwhelmed and a, a bit under the pump. And so in an attempt to, um, attempt to alleviate him, Dave Prowse comes over and says... 
oh, you know, looking, you're looking a bit under the pump. I just want to come and, you know, take your mind off things a bit. And then tries to sell him the new um, weightlifting book <laughs> yeah. that Dave Prowse has just written. Um, That's gold. And, Seriously, there's recording of that. Dave yeah. Prowse trying to sell the weightlifting Yeah, I forget. Because I've, I've, I've actually read the transcript and I don't have it on me at this point in time. That um, is hilarious. Um, but it was it's also an interesting way of, you know, talking about how they had to construct the scene and, you know, the problem they had with, you know, the foam at getting too close to the edge of the set because, you know, even though there was foam around the um, the the platform, they could still fall off and hurt themselves and things like that. It's just very interesting to see how they actually went about creating what then becomes one of the most iconic scenes in the in the trilogy. Yeah. Cool. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, that was good. That was very good. I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, of course, uh, one of the major aspects of the, of the production is the secrecy around the revelation. Mm. Um, it's it's some great stories there, so I'll just briefly touch on it. The, um, they obviously wanted to keep it a secret uh, in so much as they actually even didn't tell David Prowse, which is kind of interesting. They actually yeah. gave him different information. But there's a reason why they didn't tell him. Because he was actually seen as being, you know, the big gossip on the set and, you know, the being the big leak. Yeah. So they didn't want to tell him because then if they told, if he knew, it'd just get out there and spoil the moment That's in, the, right. in the film. Yeah. So, so actually gave, they gave him different dialogue where mm. uh, he says that... Because he would actually, he would mouth the dialogue that he mm. was meant to mouth and then James Earl Jones would yeah. record over the top, obviously. So they could get the, the movements but they would right. Get the, yeah. yeah, So and the interaction right. And so he actually says that Obi-Wan is Luke's father. Mm. Um, whereas Luke, uh, Mark, Mark Hamill and uh, Evan Kirshner, of course, and a later James Earl Jones, obviously... Knew that what was the the real point, so Mark, yeah. so but, he was Mark was told so that he could react properly. Yeah, but only like real literally two minutes before. Yeah, before they actually before said, he had to actually react. Yeah, so they, they that they just went, yeah, look, this is actually what's going to happen. This, yeah. is what, this is what he's really going to say when we do the post. Yeah, um, this is what your reaction needs to be. Actually, yeah. needs to be, and that's why that's why I think it's so good is because they tell him so close to when he actually has to perform it. Mm. He hasn't had time to think about it. It's mm. just more like the shock. Of, yeah, because even he himself was kind of like, surely that's not true. And yeah, sort of went from there. Yeah. So, um, and what one of the most popular theories was that um, when Luke actually revealed that was that Vader was lying. Mm. All right, so mm. so it wasn't actually Luke's father at all, and was just saying it just to sort of you know shock. Mm. young Luke during the confrontation and stuff which is why um, later on in Return of the Jedi they have, you have the scene where Yoda confirms that that mm. actually is true because uh, Lucas uh, spoke to a child psychologist and the child psychologist says look it's going to be quite easy for, for the younger sort of audience to believe that Vader is lying and not really yeah. follow the storyline properly mm. yeah. so you need to actually make it obvious some, from somebody they trust mm. and so he chose Yoda and, yeah. and Ben to give the information which I thought was awesome but uh James Earl Jones is hilarious. James Earl Jones himself thought he was lying. So he recorded the dialogue and stuff, but then later said, oh, it's clearly lying. It's, not, it's clearly not true. And of course, <laughs> of course it was true. So it's, uh, it's great stuff. But um, and an awesome, awesome scene. The initial production budget was $18 million, uh, which was 50% more than that of, the, of uh, A New Hope. Uh, eventually had some increases in budget during production, mm. probably because of Norway screwing them over. Uh, not Norway itself. I apologise, any Nor. Norwegian listeners. <laughs> but, uh, the weather conditions the in Norway causing Norway. difficulties. <laughs> it actually became one of the most expensive moves of the day and uh, the bank threatened to pull the loan. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, it probably explains some of his stress. So Lucas was forced to approach 20th Century Fox and then made the notorious deal that uh, got Alan Ladd into, into quite a bit of trouble um, where he actually... Uh, 
he, uh, the 20th Century Fox paid the loan, which where then Lucas would then pay 20th Century Fox back, um, but without the loss of the sequel and merchandising rights. So the, the, yeah. the same deal he had from the first film. Mm. And uh, uh, Alan Ladd actually quit after that, after the studio got upset. So they, there was a perfect chance to, to ply the thumbscrews and get yeah. the sequel rights back and stuff like that. And Alan didn't do it. So, which is good. Alan Ladd Jr. I respect him for that. the heroes of, the, of yeah. his story. He's, he's, he's awesome. Um, and because Alan Ladd, but what happened to Alan Ladd Jr., uh, Lucas said, well, I'm taking Raiders of the Lost Ark to Paramount. Yeah. Away so, they went. So, Century Fox lost a bit of cash, which is all they really think about. So, the world premiere of Empire Strikes Back was held on May 17, 1980, at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. It was actually a special, uh, a special release uh, for a children's charity. Um, the official uh, release uh, was May 21, 1980, a couple of days later. It was titled The Empire Strikes Back in Publicity, but the opening scroll stated Episode 5. Uh, the first Star Wars film, now known as Episode 4, A New Hope, had at that point not been given an episode number, but this would be included in its 1981 re-release. The Empire Strikes Back received mixed reviews upon release, which is mm. uh, interesting. Some, some, a lot of people said it was quite, you know, it was too dark and mm. too depressing. And yeah. There was also, uh, a lot of the criticism was also uh, labelled at the fact that the film didn't actually have, at least the critics didn't see it as having a conclusion. Yeah. You know, the story was open-ended, allowing for a sequel, um, as opposed to being nicely wrapped up. You've got to remember, <laughs> I mean, it, it, that, that's actually now pretty much the norm for second films. I mean, films yeah. are now designed to be trilogies. That's right. Um, but back then, the idea that a film would actually not end and that you would have to come back three years later to see the next part of the story. Crazy. was yeah, pretty sort of radical for the time. But now, of course, it's considered one of the best sequels of the moment. And one of the best films. Mm. But we'll we'll touch on that in our ratings later on, our actual opinions on that. Also another reason was that no one liked C-3PO in that film. Everyone found him annoying because he just did nothing but Yeah, that was a big complaint at the time. Much the same way that no one liked Jar Jar Binks, no one liked C-3PO. Back then, they could stand him in the first one because he had R2 and R2 was cool. Yeah. Um, but by himself, he just does nothing but go on and on and on. And just like uh, A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back is going to be uh, re released in 3D, like I mentioned. Um, and Empire, uh, that will be out in 2016. Just like New Hope, uh, Empire was released as part of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition uh, in 1997 um, with some additional uh, special effects and uh, sequences. Um, which included uh, seeing the Wampa in full instead of just its its head. Because the original Wampa, I don't know if you've seen the footage, but it just looks terrible. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just a, a glove and a, basically a head. Oh, but they actually did some test footage of having yeah. uh, Wampa rampaging through the rebel base. Just um, didn't work. There's some great, great stuff where they're, like, they're crashing through the wall and almost you know, they almost get R2, but he manages to escape. But it just looks so inept. <laughs> it's, just, it's, they, it's good that they cut it because it just looks yeah. terrible. But uh, yeah, so he's gone back and did the Wampa and um, and uh, digitally changing Cloud City a bit, so sort of make it a bit more picturesque and stuff like that. And I think um, uh, this is actually an instance where the changes made really do benefit the film. Yeah, I actually liked it. The, 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 the Cloud City sequences mm. now just look so much more interesting. and much the, more realistic. The, the city just looks so amazing now. Yeah. Um, and the same, actually seeing the Wampa, I think, adds something yeah. to the film. So I think for the most part... The, the changes that were made actually really do benefit the film. Hmm. Yeah, and it's, it also includes the scene where um, uh, Vader's returning to his Super Star Destroyer hmm. after the duel with Luke, which is actually an 
not uh, voiced by James Earl Jones. It's not voiced Strangely by James Earl Jones, which is, yeah. which is odd. So it does sound wrong, but the footage itself is actually a cut from Return of the Jedi, mm. yeah. um, an alternate take. So, yeah, I've, I've mixed viewers of that of, of that scene, mm. actually. I mean, mm. the voice is... It sounds like Pee Wee Herman playing yeah. Darth Vader. It's very strange. Alert my, it's, it's a white guy trying to sound like a black guy. Yeah. Alert my Star Destroyer <laughs> to prepare for my arrival. It's yeah, not it, very good. But, but yeah. There I, is, in, in the sort of... The more recent uh, DVD releases as well, you also get the change in uh, in Boba Fett's voice. Mm. Yeah, to Tamira Morrison. Tamira Morrison, and, and I got to um, say that that doesn't really work for me either. And no. Ian McDiarmid replacing Clive Revel in the Emperor sequence in Empire Strikes Back, which I actually think is a good part. That's yeah, that's, good that's, more, that's probably good more necessary. But yeah, the original Emperor, uh, Emperor hologram is like chimpanzee eyes. Mm. Superimposed over the well, top. I think Not just very for, well. Just for you know, just for continuity between the films, I think it's important to have Ian McDermott in that scene. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, the changes I think that were made actually are less intrusive. Yeah, and, and benefit the film greatly. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so our thoughts? Empire is the single best of the Star Wars movies without any shadow of a doubt. I disagree. I disagree <gasps> too. Ooh. Really? Yes. You can't have Empire without Star Wars. Star Wars exists as its, as its own um, entity, but to actually sort of understand and get into Empire, don't get me wrong, I think Empire is a very good film, you, but you can't actually watch it in and of itself without having seen and that, Star Wars. Look, that's absolutely that's, true. Of course, that's true. But, but that doesn't mean that it's not the better, more entertaining film with the better story and stronger characterization and uh, just, a, you know, I mean, it's, you know, Star Wars is, as we said earlier, pretty simple mm. you know um you have these sort of archetypal figures it's empire strikes back that takes those those archetypes and actually turns them into characters and yeah goes, that goes, actually goes to the adds, next level. adds depth to those characters and really makes them into something more than what they were but then there's no conclusion whereas return of the jedi for me leaves me more satisfied mm. because there is the conclusion look that, that's that true that's true but right. i don't know there's just something about Empire Strikes Back that intrigues me and it is the one of the of the trilogy it is the film that I think I've watched the most oh well yeah, yeah. Um, Empire Strikes Back is actually not only the best of the uh, best of the saga for me but it's actually one of my favourite films of all time well I've, I think I've watched and listened to uh, Return of the Jedi the most and that's the one we listened to as kids on the album yeah. and, you know and there's a little girl <laughs> can I get past the talking teddy bears that come and help save the day <laughs> One of the biggest annoyances I had with the remakes is they changed the Ewok song. Uh, we'll they talk, did we'll talk, we'll the talk more about song. that in the Return of the Jedi yeah. part. But, but um, I think um, <laughs> it was a disgrace. You're right. What uh, first of all, <laughs> yep. first of all, you get the connection between Luke and Darth Vader, which mm. just adds so much more depth yeah. Yeah. to the story. Their confrontation—it's the confrontation you've been building to from pretty much from the beginning, from the moment that Luke is introduced. Yeah. You are slowly building up to. Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. We don't get that in oh, Star from Wars. From the moment you, from the moment Ben says, um, Anakin murdered, betrayed, and yeah, murdered your father. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that's it. You know, so there's the first. There's the first really massive payoff. Yeah. Um, and it's brilliant. Like their confrontation is just phenomenal. Not only is it beautifully shot, beautifully choreographed, the fighting, but the revelation gives you mm. that extra emotional depth that is just like the the slap in the face to to really sort of wake you up and go, oh my god, this is this is just magnificent. This is yeah. gone to a whole new level. 
actually um, prefer the Dagobah sequence. The Dagobah sequence also does that. Yeah. It, you mean the yeah. bit with the cave? Or with the tree? The whole sequence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It, yeah. it, it, gives, it, it, it grounds no Luke try. a bit and gives him, mm-hmm. once again, gives him more personality, gives him a new mentor. And, it, and the best outfit. The best outfit is awesome. It is. <laughs> it, it's the start of him changing from whiny teenager to yeah. Jedi yeah. Knight. Absolutely. And the awesomeness of uh, Yoda. Mm. Let's face facts. Yeah. Just a great character. But that, I mean, that, that, that confrontation with Vader is, is brilliant. I mean, Vader's brought to the fore. I mean, yeah. he's in the film quite mm. substantially. Yeah. Um, maybe not so much the Hoth sequence, but it's it, it it's just awesome stuff. And it's actually, that's my favourite bit is this. I've actually got uh, like bits of the actual film itself, like the, the negatives of the film, of yeah. just that sequence. Where yeah. It's, you are beaten. It is useless to resist. Yeah. It throws yeah. the lightsaber in his face. It's like, it's yeah. great. Yeah, so I think, yeah, for, for me, the reason why this stands out as the best of the films is because it, it just takes those characters to a whole other level. Yeah. Han Solo develops as a character. Yeah. You know, gone is that just that sort of, you know, roguish scoundrel. I mean, he starts to develop a, a greater conscience uh, yeah. to what he's doing. Um, the love of the princess. The, the romance between Leia and Han develops greatly um i think it's just yeah it's just the they they become real characters to me like really fleshed out yeah. three-dimensional characters and it helps with better direction since, since george lucas is not actually directing <laughs> who knows what he's doing oh i don't know <laughs> i also think that um the the actors have actually job. developed as actors over those mm. those few years as well um yeah yeah, so well, Harrison Ford and Luke and Mark Hamill had Carrie Fisher. He didn't get much work. No, in true. Star Wars true. Empire Strikes. Yeah, still, I mean, Mark Hamill's reaction when he finds out the truth a, a lot better than uh, Brad Pitt's reaction when he finds out the truth. <laughs> 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 that's going to be let's compare. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's um, a, a much better also, job. I mean, well, but you're right. In Star Wars, Mark Hamill is yeah. just is awful. But you know, he does a lot better in Empire Strikes. Back. Yeah, <laughs> and so for me, that's why it's I think the standout of the. Cool, well, there you go. I mean, I agree with you. Stand out. It's a uh, rating start. Uh, five, without a doubt. Four by five. Four. And five. It's, yeah. it's magnificent. Thank you. Synchronicity. <laughs> Doesn't okay, mean so, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay, finishing up with Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. One year after the events of Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker initiates a plan to rescue Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt. They all get captured and uh, are going to be fed to the Sarlacc, uh, but of course manage to escape because they're the good guys. Um, it's a huge it's a huge sequence. There's a lot more detail than I just explained there. And it's, in, in my opinion, the best sequence in the film. Great stuff. And really does give you the, the Luke Skywalker moment. Luke's, yeah, it's, Luke's it's, become the Jedi and he, here's the scene where you see that. Where yeah. you see him using his powers using his abilities to escape the Sarlacc, to try and influence Jabba. I mean, he's, he's stepped up his game. Yeah. Also, like the fact that Jabba recognises him as a Jedi, even though the Jedi have been extinct for, yeah. for quite a while now. It's just, he just takes it for granted that he's a Jedi, yeah. and that's fine. Although, then, of course, laughs in his face. <laughs> but still, it's awesome. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so they, they manage to escape, and uh, Han is rescued. 
As promised uh, in Empire, Luke returns to Dagobah to his continuous training, but is told that his training is actually now complete, which is a bit of a cop-out. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, poor Yoda is dying. I mean, he is 900 years old, so he's, uh, he's done quite a bit and, for the cause. And also, to be fair, Luke has now confronted Darth Vader. And survived. And survived. I think that's pretty much... That, that, that's more training than you're ever going to get on Dagobah. <laughs> that's, that's very, very true. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and it's also revealed that uh, it was true what Vader says. He's actually uh, Luke's father and that everyone did lie. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, did tell the truth in a certain point, from a certain point of view, depending yes. on how you want to look at it. Another cop out. Mm. And, uh, but not only that, also another shock horror that the, uh, the only girl in the universe just happens to be Luke's sister. Which does cast some rather disturbing uh, <laughs> aspects on earlier scenes for earlier films. Yeah, but, but to be fair to Luke, he doesn't know. Uh, yeah, what really. other choices has he got? Baru or, or Leia? <laughs> no, he's got uh, Jabba's other slave girls. He's yep. dancers. Um, Mon Mothma. <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit of Mon Mothma. Oh, the, the, the girl cut out a New Hope. The, the friend at Toshi's Station. Yeah, so he's got some. He's got some other options, but really, I mean, Leia kicks butt yep. and is clearly the coolest woman in the universe. <laughs> That's right. So really, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, so yeah, he's a bit. Uh, He's actually strangely not all that shocked by that revelation. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah well, by that point, he's, he's really tapping into the Force, so I think he's yeah. starting to get these, you know, understanding these feelings and sensations that he has by using the Force. And so he rejoins the Rebel Alliance, who are again planning uh, to attack the uh, Empire, uh, which has been revealed to have a new Death Star under construction. That's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, those I mean... things are huge. Yeah, true, but I mean, it's not like they don't have the resources and the funds to do it. I mean, they so, control the entire galaxy. I mean, if, you think, if you think about it, you know, as it gets revealed in the prequels, really, they don't start construction a good on the first Death Star a good ten years yeah. before yeah. you know a new hope. And also, this time so, around, so, it's just a matter of rebuilding. This time, I mean, they've already known that the Death Star worked the first time around, so all they got to do is rebuild and probably patch up that patch little two meter hole that they've got. Uh, so part of the part of the plan to attack is for a small scri- uh, strike force to go to Endor and uh, knock out the ge- shield generator because this time the Empire's figured out they should probably have a force field around their giant <laughs> space station, um, and yeah. most of the main characters are going to go be part of that team. Um, where and then the rest of the Rebel Alliance, including uh, Wedge and Lando and Rogue Squadron, um, will attack the Death Star. This caused a little bit of a problem for me as a kid. This Endor thing, though. Like, so, the forest moon of Endor. And I could never work out... Well, first of all, it's a forest moon, but let's not worry about the physics of that. What I could never work out was, it, does it mean that there's a planet, and it has a forest moon, like the planet called Endor, and its forest moon is basically the planet they go to? Or whether the forest moon is called Endor, in which case, which planet is actually orbiting around? But, That's a yeah. very good point. Yeah, and, uh, I, I've, I've been out. able to. I've been able to overcome these deficiencies. No, no, I'm telling you, I had the exact same argument. Yeah. Um, and also, Caravan of Courage reveals that it's not all a forest; it's actually desert and oceans and stuff. Uh, yeah, we're not reviewing Caravan of Courage <laughs> either. Much like the Star Wars Christmas special, I think we all kind of just forget the Ewok adventure films. Car- Caravan did what it did. What about the Ewok? What about the Ewok cartoon series? Oh, come and on! And the droids cartoon series. On. Yes, we forget all of those. We forget they even exist because they're terrible. Um, yeah, so the group that go to Endor uh, have some pretty exciting sequences with the speeder bikes and stuff like that, um, and also meet up with the Ewoks when Leia is uh, taken captive, essentially. Um, so yeah, so you meet the Ewoks, the uh, inhabitants of the forest moon of Endor, <laughs> and uh, 
and uh, they get introduced to the series and uh, they're savage teddy bears and a young uh, David just shook his head in disgust but you know, uh, you luckily know, you know you're not young I'm just letting you know but I was young at the time when I saw the movie Ah, so you were, you were disgusted even back then? Even then I was disgusted, is what I'm saying. So even okay. watching it in the cinema, I thought, what the hell is going on? Interesting. Anyway, so, uh, but luckily for the Rebel Alliance, um, the uh, stars of the movie uh, persuade the Ewoks that they're actually good guys and that their cause is true, with an awesome scene with uh, C-3PO basically recounting the entire Star Wars story with sound effects. It's pretty cool. And Luke decides that there's still good in Vader and that, you know, Vader could have killed him when he had the chance and didn't. And so decides that he's going to save his father and uh, bring him back to the to the light side. And so goes off on his own um, and confronts Vader, who probably takes him to the Death Star and shoves him in front of the Emperor. Huge confrontation, the, the final confrontation between Vader and Luke uh, in front of uh, Palpatine, where Palpatine tries to convince Luke to uh, virtually, basically replace Vader as his new apprentice, which is, mm. you know... Quite yeah, diabolical, of, but cool. Yeah, lots of embrace the dark side, unleash your hatred. Yeah. you got to wonder, though... Something, something, something dark side. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wonder, though, a little bit, maybe the Emperor probably just talks a little bit too much during that scene, because, you know, there is a point there where Luke's, <sighs> Luke's going to the dark side. Yeah, the Emperor just, just shut up. Just be quiet. It would have been fine. It would have been all right. Yeah. If he hasn't said that, you know, maybe your sister's and stuff, or, you know, yeah. made it, like, your sister. Like, you could have done it. Anyway, so... Uh, Meanwhile, back on Endor, the Rebels, with the help of the Ewoks, are successfully knocking out the generator, which means that the uh, fleet can attack the Death Star, which they probably do under the command of Admiral Akbar. And the Ewoks help turn the tide and basically, in one of the most ridiculous moments in film, defeat the highly advanced Imperial Army. Bizarre. And uh, Luke, you've really got issues, don't you? And, with these Ewoks, uh, <laughs> long-standing issues too. Luke manages to defeat uh, Vader. And, but of, in a great scene, realizes that in defeating Vader, he is eventually basically going to become Vader, and decides to he's just not going to do that. Palpatine tries to kill him, and Vader is eventually redeemed, despite the fact that for many years he's been wiping out whole civilizations. One act of saving his son redeems him and brings him back to the light side, kills the Emperor, and, and uh, yeah, and kills him. Let's not forget that part. Yeah, but Don't... really. No, no, no. It, it kills Vader, though. This one redeeming oh, yeah. act also and ends up with his death. Also so, dies himself. But yeah. still, uh, it's a bit much. Men, women, and children, this guy's killed. Well, he did blow up an entire planet <laughs> in Star Wars. No, he didn't do that. That was Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, was yeah I, I didn't see him like, yeah. standing there complaining <laughs> or trying to stop the Grand Moff from doing Not it. Not to like. mention the fact that in the original trilogy, he kills um, not only Tusken Raider children in the camp, but also like the Jedi Padawan trainers. And, you know, even in, you know, Star Wars and Empire, I mean, he's choking a lot of people to death. And <laughs> granted, his own. granted, they're all bad. He's not a very good person, but it's... You know, but, that guy picks up in Star Wars, crushes his throat and throws him to the side. I mean, that's just terrible. Uh, what can you do? So the, uh, the forces now that they're able to attack the Death Star uh, do in a, a really exciting sequence of the Millennium Falcon and some X-Wings being chased through the innards of the Death Star. It's great stuff. Including um, unsung hero Wedge Antilles. Yep, Wedge Antilles, who uh, who does a great, great job defending the Millennium Falcon, who, and then, then unfortunately get the get the kill shot on the reactor, and they manage to escape in a, as the Death Star explodes. Uh, but Luke, of course, at this time, has escaped the Death Star as well with the body of his father, who he then cremates. Um, and then rejoins uh, the rebels on Endor, who are celebrating Yamcha. It is really good. We uh, Yamcha. 
<laughs> I'm sure that's not what the Ewoks were actually singing in the original version. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, he uh, he's reunited with uh, Leia. Uh, Han, meanwhile, has decided that he's going to stand aside and let Leia and Luke um, have their blossoming romance uh, continue in a nice heroic moment. And is then quite pleased and shocked to discover that they are in fact brother and sister, and he's stealing with a shot. <laughs> that's good. And he takes that shot. And he takes it. And uh, in the later novels, eventually marries her, which is cool. And that's pretty much it. Rebel Alliance they all triumphant. live happily ever, ever after. after. That's the end of the saga. The Imperials are routed and the Rebel Alliance are successful. Uh, the cast is once again pretty much the same. Um, it's just that they all returned from the previous films. Uh, some additions are Ian McDiarmid as Emperor Palpatine, who shows up as holograms in, uh, some of the, in Empire. Um, well, now it does. Clover Rebel actually played him originally. Yeah, Empire. that's true, but in the special editions it's been replaced, which I think is, I mean, no offence to Clive. That makes sense. Alec Guinness, of course, comes back and does his ghost bits as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, you also have uh, Kenneth Colley as Admiral Piet, the only Imperial officer to, to stuff up and yet still live. <laughs> awesome. And uh, Warwick Davis as Wicket, who stepped in from a sick, for a sick uh, Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker was going to play Wicket, mm-hmm. but uh, Warwick got the part. Only 11 years old when we got the part. Pretty yep. cool. That is pretty cool. And of course he's a legend. <laughs> and of course, you know, Lucas would then go on to use him quite a bit after that as well yeah, in course. things like Willow. And He does a great job in Willow. Willow's mm. not that good, but he does a great job. And of course he then shows up in the prequel films as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of couple tidbits about the production. Um, as with the previous film, Lucas personally funded Return of the Jedi once again. So he's got a bit of cash, the old Lucas. Yes, well... He's not poor. He could fund whatever he likes after the success of Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, and certainly with then with Empire Strikes Back then becoming a massive success as well yeah. and making even more money, uh, there was no need to struggle with the bank anymore uh, for Return of the Jedi. That's right. Um, and uh, Lucas once again uh, decided they didn't want to direct, so approached uh, other directors. Uh, one of them was David Lynch, but Lynch declined in order to direct Dune. Uh, David Cronenberg was also offered, but he also declined in order to make Videodrome. Yeah, Lucas eventually chose uh, Richard Marquand. But gossip, gossip entails that uh, Lucas was pretty much, you know, co-directing anyway, and uh, was on yeah, set quite that he was there the whole time, yeah. whispering um, in his ear. He, uh, and he most likely did most of the second unit work. Um, there was a bit of issue on whether Harrison Ford would return for Return of the Jedi. Um, he didn't have the same contract as the others, so he wasn't uh, contractually obliged to return. Um, and he wanted Han Solo to die, mm. um, in a in a heroic way. And, he's uh, got no mama. He's got no papa. He's got no story. That, that's what. That's the justification that Harrison yeah. would always use. So there was there was two ideas. He was either going to die in carbonite, which mm. is basically not not survive the, mm. the the process of reviving him, or survive that and yet then die in the bat the battle on Endor. Mm. Uh, so Harrison obviously wanted the carbonite version, which means he wouldn't have to return at all. Yeah. Um, but um, Lucas just flat out refused, um, and obviously and got him on board. And a good call. Um, yeah, so Kasdan wanted... Um, yeah. Kasdan... Lawrence Kasdan wanted him to... Co-writer wanted to actually... Bump him off? Well, bump off a character. Not, yeah. Maybe not Harrison Ford, but he just felt that someone that, you know, the bubble around them had been a bit... They're, they're a bit too safe. Yeah. And he thought that, you know, to add a, an extra sense of, you know, um, danger, menace to the characters... Yeah. And make one, bit, it's possible the others could die. Yeah. Um, he Namely Luke, I think. As I said, the possibility that Luke could actually not survive yeah. his own story. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence has actually supported the idea of, ca- of killing someone off. Mm. Yeah. 
so that you know there could actually be a sense of tension in the story. Yeah. For an all ages film, it's probably actually the right call mm. not no, to I have disagree. the characters you could get death off. in all ages film and it actually means something poignant. Yeah, I just don't think it would have been the right call for these films. But you can't yeah. really kill off Luke, Leia, or Han because they're the integral characters to the story. Yeah, Leia is essential to the story. When Vader actually makes the, the comment that we can get your sister, that's a major point in what happens to Luke. Yeah. So if the sister's not there, yeah, I'm sorry, it I loses just, its impact. I just threw it out there. I'm not saying Leia hasn't died. I'm just saying, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't yeah Chewbacca there. would have been the obvious choice. Yeah. Hmm. But the impact would have been lost. So I think the right decision was made here. Okay. Across the board. Fair enough. Yoda was originally not meant to appear at all, uh, but Marquan strongly felt that returning to Dagobah was essential in order to resolve Luke saying that I'm going to come back. Once again, (laughs) another good call there. (laughs) And also gives a nice, sad, emotional, but quite stirring send-off to Yoda as well. Yeah. It's a shame when poor Yoda dies. We feel it. I felt it. When I was young at the time. Now, of course, I'm like, yeah, well, he's just a puppet. But that's all right. <laughs> at the time, I was Yes, now you've grown bitter and cynical. <laughs> there was actually uh, quite a lot of ideas from the original script that were left out um, and or altered. Uh, the most famous, of course, being that the Ewoks were going to be the Wookiees um, mm. and the end fight was going to be on Kajek, um, Kajek, which is then put into the prequels, mm. which is pretty cool. The Millennium Falcon was going to be used instead of a stolen shuttle to get to the forest moon of Endor and that and because uh, so, Han just couldn't give up his baby but it's good that he was in the final battle that's pretty cool otherwise George would have been sitting there on the on Endor doing nothing <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what the Falcons do um, and that's right they've got toys to sell that's yeah. right well, not, it's, not just well, that it's, it's just the Falcons you know it's also a good character moment cool. for Han yeah. that he's willing to actually give up the Millennium Falcon for the greater good yeah. to his almost Complete turnaround second best from, friend after yeah. <laughs> after Chewbacca yeah. and a complete turnaround yeah. from um New Hope, where yeah. he just refuses flat out to to join. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I'm out of here. yeah, I think imp- course, important scene for the character. Yeah, very important scene. Yeah. And you, wouldn't you think that Luke would be his second best friend? Yeah, I don't know. He's trying to hit on Leia, and so there's a bit of rivalry there. <laughs> a bit of rivalry. Well, Chewbacca, that... of course, just kicks back. He's like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Chewbacca. I don't care. That's right. Um, and uh, one of the most important changes, I think, is that Obi Wan Kenobi was actually going to return to life. He's actually going to come back to life. But uh, Lucas decided against it because it made make no sense. Yeah, yeah, once again, a good, yeah, call. That's a good call. A good call. <laughs> I mean, if he could do it, then then the whole thing of Yoda dying, who, who mm. cares? He's going to come yeah. back to life anyway. How yeah, Vader could do it when he dies. That's right. Vader Emperor could, could come back. The whole thing's pointless. What's the justification for that? I doesn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have no idea. Uh, the you know the probably something like the say the Gandalf style, you know. Resurrection yeah. and return yeah. for the final yeah, battle, sort good, of thing. Yeah. That could yeah. probably be where he was coming from. You know, from. he's actually killed off. The only reason he was killed off in New Hope is because um, Lucas, not because he didn't like the character or anything, it's just because it, the, you, you would think the reason would be would be to strive Luke on to mm. do what he does, but actually it was because Lucas just realised that Obi Wan didn't do anything for the rest of the story. Basically, mm. just stood mm. around doing nothing, mm. and he, he already had C three PO for that, so it was it was yeah. kind of pointless. So they killed him off, and then mm. later realized, oh wait a minute, this is Luke's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, this well, is his well, driving force. Basically. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think it is a good thing that he didn't come back to life. I think it's very good. Yeah, because by that point, it's it's about Luke's journey and yeah. you know Luke becoming the Jedi himself, bringing back the mentor again. At that point, would have just been living kind of silly. Yeah, and Luke and, was also Luke was also meant to they walk off in a way. Uh, and leave the Rebel Alliance and just walk off and go off to a different part of the galaxy at the end. But Lucas decided against that as well. 
Yeah, it kind of defeats the happily ever after, oh, doesn't it? You got the big, you got the big celebration. Yeah. Peggy did not want the yumcha. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, filming began on January 11, 1982, and lasted through to May 2082, uh, which was six weeks shorter than Empire Strikes Back. The project was given the working title "Blue Harvest" with the tagline "Horror Beyond Imagination," um, which described the production. It was actually it's a pretty major part of my childhood. Actually, it was when Blue Harvest was announced and. And almost instantly, people knew it was a Star Wars project. And they uh, certainly were. I, I scrounged through, because this, this is before the internet, you have to remember, so I scrounged through magazines, like Starlog and stuff. They certainly went all out, though. They had T-shirts yeah. and yeah. posters and caps and things made, jackets. They, yeah. they, went, uh, they did everything they possibly could, and everyone went, no. Yeah, it's stuff. Spielberg, Spielberg said he was involved. Yeah. Was, was, yeah, so they tried Everybody their best. Knew it was they tried their best. They gave it a sh- they gave it a fair shake, <laughs> but uh, it didn't quite work. Uh, the first stage of production started with seventy eight days at Elstree Studios. Um, That's actually probably a good call. Start in the studio mm. to avoid all of the the natural disasters that seem to plague them to begin with. Get some stuff done, then go on site. Yep. And the shoot actually commenced with a scene that was later deleted, which is uh, the sandstorm sequence at the end of Rescuing Han Solo, which is on the Blu-rays editions yeah. and is uh, a cool scene actually. It's mm. actually a pretty cool little scene. But um, the only reason it was a sandstorm was just to disguise the fact that we're on a stage. Yeah. So actually, we preferred if it wasn't a sandstorm. But you know, that's cool. Doesn't yeah. But had, had they gone to actually shoot it in the desert, they probably would have been an actual sandstorm <laughs> that disrupted the uh, production, destroyed so. the whole thing. Yeah. So you can sort of understand why they might go and try to do it. It's a cool scene, but I can see why it was cut. It really yeah. wasn't really wasn't that necessary. Um, and also the scene they cut with Luke building his lightsaber is kind of pointless as okay. well. Which kind of, I mean, it takes, kind of takes away the bit where uh, R2 shoots the lightsaber. Mm. It's like, we already now, now we know the lightsaber's there. Whereas, yeah. So I'm glad they cut it as well. Uh, in April, the crew moved to Yuma Desert in Arizona for the tattooing exteriors and then moved on to the Redwood Forest of Northern California. And strangely, in Arizona... It's strangely enough in Arizona... No natural disasters? No, no. Yeah, Return of the Jedi had no natural disasters. Yeah. No, no ice storms. You can only imagine looking no at the like year every old day of the, of the Tatooine shoes. It's like, please, please. Please no. don't give us that first rainstorm <laughs> in 500 years. I'm just, I'm just glad one of the huge redwoods didn't just decide to die at that moment. It just collapsed on the whole production. Yeah. <laughs> that would be terrible. Uh, the original teaser trailer for the film carried the name Revenge of the Jedi, mm. and a teaser poster created by. The legend Drew Struzan is uh, he's just a champion. Uh, actually, contained that title as well, and is now a very rare collector's item. Um, but uh, a few weeks before the film's premiere, Lucas changed the title, saying that revenge could not be used as it's not a Jedi concept, which he would then he would then eventually use for Revenge of the Sith in uh, Episode Three, um, which made much more sense. Return of the Jedi was released uh, theoretically on May twenty five eighty three. It was originally slated to be released May 27, but was subsequently changed to coincide with the date of the 1977 release of Star Wars A New Hope, um, which makes perfect sense, and you'd think they would have thought of that before that. <laughs> uh, it's had a massive worldwide marketing campaign. I can remember the, the marketing campaign. It was, yeah. it was huge. It Not was. beaten until Batman, in my opinion. Yeah. Batman, yeah. of course, was just juggernaut. Yeah. But uh, Return of the Jedi was very, very big. Um, yes, I remember lining up and not getting in to see Return of the Jedi. Really? Yep. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, first time I went to see it, no, just couldn't get in. Really? Yep. Had to go away, come back a couple of days later and see it then. Oh, uh, yeah, cause, uh, well, I, we, uh, we didn't see it until a couple of days later, so mm. we were all cool. 
Yeah, I, I didn't actually get to go to one of the premieres until the 97 special edition re-releases when I went to the midnight screening with Young Richo. That's in right. Fact. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And like the diehard yeah. nerds. Just, just really great atmosphere. People with lightsabers. Yeah, people dressed in costumes. That it was, was awesome. crazy. Yeah. People had lightsabers at uh, the premiere of uh, Phantom Menace as well. Like, yeah. Dressed up as Jedis and yep. crazy stuff. I didn't want to take my lightsaber because I was like, I paid a lot of money for this lightsaber. <laughs> 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 lightsaber. You drew the nerddom line. I, I, I drew the lightsaber. Line. Uh, and of course, as uh, part of the 3D campaign, it's uh, scheduled for release in 2017, which will be the 40th anniversary of the franchise. Um, and like just like uh, New Hope and Empire, it was released in 97 with the special editions, uh, with some changes. Uh, included uh, a change to... Ma- most of the changes were the songs, so they changed the Sly, Sly Noodles band's song, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, changed some of the actual characters. Um, and Sly Noodles is actually now fully... CGI instead of a puppet, mm. um, and they, they certainly... didn't change Max Rebo though, which is cool because mm. he was awesome. Yeah. He was the organ player. They they actually yeah added other members to the band. Yeah. I actually think it's called um, the Max Rebo band. Isn't it, it? it is. It yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Size noodles right. and the Max, and Rebo, Max Rebo band. band yeah. yeah, Max is awesome. But and Max, the, the Max Rebo actually bigger. He was cool. He was very cool. <laughs> yeah. But they certainly um, filled out Jabba's palace, kind of like what they yeah. did with uh, Mos Eisley in the Star Wars re-releases. That's so, right. Yeah. So they really really just added alien after alien to. Yeah. Really well, the Star Wars release actually changed some of the aliens as well. He, like, yeah. he changed the werewolf dude. Yeah. Like, he thought, cause it was basically just a werewolf mask, so yeah. he changed it with another I character. liked the werewolf dude, though. I liked them all. I, I yeah. it. It's actually funny watching the, the Star Wars Blu-rays uh, with the deleted scenes. They've got a deleted scene of him of some of the aliens and the canteen talking and stuff. And they were just British. Because they were all just yeah. British actors yeah. they just just got British accents yeah. before they, they do the you know the alien languages and yeah. stuff so with the confrontation is like I don't like you either he's I mean he's British I mean, yeah. but the the walrus man yep. guy he's just like I don't like you yeah. <laughs> and that's the very poor British accent I must admit yeah. that I just did but you know you get the heat of what I'm saying yeah. oh it was gold I'll, I'll be careful you'll be dead <laughs> great stuff but <laughs> it's also going to see with Hansel I try to chat up the two girls <laughs> the, the, two, the twins yep in the, the expanded universe, it's revealed that they're actually uh, Imperial spies. Um, and uh, in one of the deleted scenes of the Blu-rays, Han Solo trying to chat them up. Which, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> which is awesome. But, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so the songs were changed. And, of course, most importantly, the Ewok song at the end was changed. Yep. Now, I mean, I can't, as I've mentioned, I can't stand the Ewoks. I hate everything about them. But... For some reason, when I heard the, the altered song, I got really upset. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, how could you change the Yubcha song? <laughs> Terrible. Pretty much the whole end is changed, really. They yeah. start, they show you the all these different planets and yeah, so celebrations around the yeah. around yeah. the universe, even yeah. on Coruscant, even on Coruscant. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. Is, it is well, harsh. That, that was the big setup for uh, the prequel trilogy. Oh, this is what Coruscant looks yeah, like. Yeah, finally get to see it. Coruscant. Does look pretty cool. Though, pretty I've got to admit, I was pretty impressed when I saw it. So uh, also um, adding a beak to the Salak to make it more and some like extra a, tentacle action yeah, too. to make it more like an octopus sort of deal, mm. which yeah. is kind of strange. But I mean, it's it's not really that many changes. No, nah. nah. there's more than Empire, but you know, not as many as um, not as many as, as New Hope, mm. and not as annoying. Mm. Mm. Well, the negative didn't need to be cleaned up. Yeah, yeah and there's so. there's even more changes on the Blu-ray. Actually, the Jabba's mm. door is now no longer a matte painting; it now it's a CGI. Mm. Um, and a couple of other little extra things as well, which is. You know, like we said, take the limit. I mean, if he if he went back and changed it, that Vader wasn't Luke's father, and 
completely change the whole story. That would be a different story. That would be different difficult to deal with. It would be. It would be very disappointing. <laughs> you weren't brother or sister at all, in fact. Actually, your brother is Chewbacca. <laughs> what? Uh, no. the, the, the really bizarre revelation would be that Leia was actually Luke's father. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I'm your father's brother's cousin's best friend's former roommate. <laughs> <laughs> what does that make us? Nothing. Nothing. It would have been cool if Leia was actually a clone of Padme. <laughs> Quite down. <laughs> Not his sister at all. <laughs> we here at Nerd Culture like to go off on these tangents from time to time. We have no idea what we're talking about. Just going on. Okay. All right, let's finish up with uh, our thoughts. It is the weakest. That's oh. my favourite. <laughs> ah. I've actually probably seen Return of Jedi more often than I have Empire Strikes Back because, you know, you do get the ending and you do get, you know, uh, the final fight between... Yeah. Luke and Vader at the end, and you can finish off. But it is the weakest. Um, it's got a, you know, the great op- the great start with um, them trying to rescue Han from Jabba's palace, and you know the very well um, edited action sequence at the end with you know going cutting from all the stuff on Endor to you know the dogfight around the Death Star two to the more personal conflict going on between Luke and Vader mm-hmm. in Palpatine's throne room. And that, that dogfight, of... that dogfight, I mean, they've, they've upped it to 11 mm. with that dogfight. It's oh, just the, the most the amazing space and fight just ever. At yeah. um, that in 3D would be magnificent. Yeah. But sort of in between those moments is some of the, the weaker points in the series. And we're yeah. talking specifically about the entry into the Ewok village. I'm just talking about the Ewoks in general. But, but going but from when it gets into the Ewok village, that's when, it's, that, that's when they start to become cute. Yeah. Before that point, you know, you had Wicked, and he's sort of, you know, but you get the sense that he's a, a little, you know, a young cub, and, you know, he protects Leia, so you yeah, kind of like him for that. Yeah, Wicked doesn't bother me, because when he's with Leia, and she's, like, she's trying to give him food and stuff, and he's, like, he pulls his, his spear on her, yeah. and it's like, this guy actually could be threatening. He yeah. actually could actually do some damage. Yeah. But then, of course, yeah, you get the village, and it's just, you get the little Ewok babies. You get, and, you get the, you get the hints of cannibalism when they enter, but that sort of drops quickly, and they just become sort of cuddly teddy bears. Yeah, but yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. But that's, just, wrong. that's just a personal taste thing. And as a, and as a uh, you know, all-ages movie, it's good to have something that appeals to the kids. It's yeah. a marketing Unless... ploy, and it's a slap in the face. As opposed to what the rest of the films with their massive merchandising pushes, and but the, I think the film has a lot of strengths. I love um, Han's confusion and he's waking up, and you can't understand how Luke's suddenly a hero, and yeah, um, he's trying to save uh, Lando, but he's supposedly blind. And... <laughs> yeah, there's some good stuff. I agree. I Look, I, I, I think Jabba, said the Jabba, the, yeah, the whole Tatooine sequence is awesome. I sort of look at it. Uh, in two different ways. I think it's the strongest film when it comes to Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke, is, he finally comes into his own in this film. I think the confrontation between Luke and Vader and the Emperor at the end yeah, is the absolute high point of this movie because this is where, where you know, Luke has to make the choice, you know. There's that, that one moment where he's just hammering into Vader and it's, and it's like, well, this is it. This is the point where you've got to decide what you're going to be. So that hero's journey sort of really comes... Uh, comes to its conclusion brilliantly, I think, in in Return of the Jedi. Totally with you. And so, when, it, when he sees that, the severed stump, the, the mechanical stump, and, and looks at his, his own, own hand, hand yeah. it's like what what yeah. have I become? So, I think from from the perspective of Luke Skywalker as a character, I think Return of the Jedi is actually the best of the films because he really has that great heroic moment. So, you know, in Empire Strikes Back, it's more just the shock of everything that he's that he he's dealing with. He gets pummeled so much, poor Luke, in Empire. Yeah. Um, physically and emotionally, it's insane. And, and um, you'll say what you will about the Ewoks, but 
they're actually a pretty mighty fighting force when it comes to oh, taking out the storm I'm so troopers. tired of that argument. It's it. No, they they. If they had the Ewoks in War of the Worlds, we would have been fine. <laughs> exactly right. The Ewoks would have kicked them apart. That's so Martians true. wouldn't have got a foothold at all. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it's sort of and um, yeah, and obviously Return of the Jedi does bring, you know, the story to its conclusion. Yeah. Um, I don't. For for me, overall, it doesn't stand out as much from Empire because it doesn't have that massive leap in characterization. Yeah. That you get from Star Wars to Empire. This yeah, just sort of brings it just brings it all home, basically. Yeah. Alright, well, that pretty much says it all, really. Mm. I think you pretty much summed it up. So ratings. Uh I give this one four point five. Five. Wow. Well I gave Star Wars five, so I have to give this one five. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. Um three point five. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Luke for this one in three point five. Mm. It's actually I, I think it's the most dis it's actually not the most disappointing because that's fantastic. It's, it's still, <laughs> it's, it's still, it's still it's enjoyable and it's, it's, yeah. it's a fun romp. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't quite match the brilliance. You know. Okay, uh, what would you give it if you took the Ewoks out? Like if you went with the, the space fight, um, the, the um, Jabba's Palace stuff and the confrontation between oh, Vader? Right, okay. So, it's a, so the Ewoks are robbing it of one whole whole point. That's... It'd be a whole podcast on its own for just my hatred of the Ewoks. Right. And just it... the idea behind them. So. I would give it 4.5 if you took the Ewoks. <laughs> ah, so the Ewoks actually <laughs> add half a point okay. for the crystal. So, uh, and uh, that's still be the same. Yeah, the inclusion <laughs> of the Ewoks doesn't dissipate from it because they, they would have placed it with someone... E- He's well, Wookiees, you know, Wookiees yeah, potentially. Wookiees. Um, I guess they weren't charged up in. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll cover that one on the next. A whole different uh... thing on the next podcast. So, talking about that, nice segue. Um, that's it for our coverage of the original saga. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, our next episode, we'll cover the prequel series and our you know, thoughts and opinions and how they marry up and individual films. So that'd be very interesting. The uh, Jar Jar. Misa so good. <laughs> <laughs> So don't forget you can contact us uh, via email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can give us our opinion on uh, our Star Wars special. And, um, or you can post on Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or tweet us at, at nerdculturecast. Or leave a comment at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. So that's it for me. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And the crew, Richo. Unleash your hatred. Luke. I don't want to go into my, you know, parental heritage right now. <laughs> and Crystal. You should go go now. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Bye now. Bye.